Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Heming Brainiac List podcast. Big announcement, and I meant to do this about a week ago, so my apologies. Um, but the next book we'll be reading is Of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Morgan. Or Mal... Mal... Morgan? More? I've got no idea how to say that. I should figure that out. That's what we're reading next. Bit of a surprise ending there because um, it was... I think it was fourth. It was coming in fourth in the vote. And then I deleted all the um, repeat votes that uh, you naughty folks did. (laughs) And uh, it shot up to number one. So that's cool. I'm happy with that. Looks like a good book to me. I actually know absolutely nothing about it. Uh, But the good news with this one is that, as far as I know, I think it was written in English. And I think also there hasn't been any major revisions or changes to it. So the version that you can get for free on Project Gutenberg is as good as any other version. It's not going to be like an old crappy translation or, you know, a previous version and they've since made revisions or whatever. Um, we'll all be reading the same thing and you can grab it for free. So I know it's short notice because we're going to be starting in like four days, I think. Um, we're up to chapter 42 today. today, And it's 45 chapters in this book. So yeah, we've got four more readings to go. Um, so if you have ordered a copy of the book online or whatever, if it doesn't come in time... You can just jump on the Project Gutenberg website and read along, um, you know, online until your copy arrives. So that's good. Um, Sorry to the guys, whoever was in the bidding war trying to get um, Buddenbrooks and uh, what was the other one? Um, Hail and Farewell. Um, There was a bit of a bidding war going on with those two books. But uh, after I deleted all your extra votes... um, yeah, those came in, I think they came in second and third or something like that. Um, oh, actually not even. I just opened up the thing there. Hail and Farewell dropped down from, I think it was first, down to last. So what I might do next time we vote is with the form that I use, you can enable that the voters need to enter an email address to vote. Um, and that, like, so you have to actually kind of sign in to vote and then you can only vote once per email address, I suppose. So you can still do extras, but it's a lot harder. Um, and you know, I think just to make it fair, cause I kind of thought, you know, just saying, Hey guys, just vote once and that'd be enough. But apparently not. Some people jumped on and voted for the book they wanted like literally 45 times. <laughs> so um, I don't know. That's just unfortunately what we're going to have to do. Props to you for trying to um, game the system, but um, yeah, whatever. It's, I mean, who cares at the end of the day, right? We're going to read all these books. We could have just as easily, you know, drawn them out of a hat and just made up the order. So, you know, it's it's not a huge thing, but still. Fair is fair. Okay, so. Uh, <clears throat> oh, yeah, we're talking about Book 2, Chapter 41. Let's get into that. Fair enough was my discussion prompt. Fair enough. Julian was found guilty. I didn't want to put a prompt that was too spoilery. And even the final line of the chapter I didn't write because it was a bit too spoilery. Swim said the mum of fishy says, in response to my discussion prompt, and my discussion prompt was just this. 
Oh, yeah, fair enough. Swims at the moment, she said, Well, I can't answer that because too spoilery. Smiley face. So even a response to me saying fair enough that he was found guilty might be too spoilery, which makes me think, is there another twist coming? Is there another twist coming? Because you'd think, you know, found guilty is found guilty. The guy is done for. Acoustic is ill says, Hello, everyone. I've been following along at one to two weeks delay, but now that it's getting interesting, I've decided to catch up to the pack. I have moved to the town where my dad, well, sorry, where my grad school is, but prior to that I was living in Minneapolis, only a couple of miles from the jo- where George Floyd was killed. I was out of town at the time, and both my apartment and workplace were unharmed, but many properties just blocks away from those both places suffered heavy damage. Some still haven't reopened. That happened like a week after we started this book, excuse me. So I was derailed almost immediately by following the protest 24-7. It's been a tough time for my community, but we could be on the brink of some good change. I'm glad to be back with you all. Oh, man. I didn't know you were there. Um, stay safe, eh? I mean, I can't imagine anything worse than a rift between the police and the public. And that just seems so normal now in America. Um, Aussie and New Zealand policemen are just like your neighbours kind of thing they would never draw a gun on you like the thought of a policeman even taking their gun out to me is so foreign and scary um and so like the way that the American police use their gun to get you to do things that they want you to do is just like what like you can't use a gun to win an argument especially if not if you're a policeman um and the brutality and, you know, the George Floyd thing and all the rest. It's just, I can't imagine how scary it must be for you to be like, I don't even know what side of the law I'm on anymore because police are now scary. But also like the looters and the rioters, it's also like fighting fire with fire. And so just to live there amongst that and kind of that feeling of you now have to pick a side almost, you know? Awful. So, I, yeah, I really feel bad for you. And uh, I hope you are keeping your nose clean, staying safe, riding this one out and, and doing your part to, I don't know, help your community along. If that's your responsibility, maybe it isn't, you know. Maybe your community doesn't, you don't owe them anything because I would be by that point starting to say, you know what, I've done everything I can for this place. <laughs> maybe I just live somewhere, which is a bit fucked up uh but hey i've never been there and i don't don't know your situation i don't know your town so i'm not saying you live in a bad place i'm just saying if that was what was going down in my hometown i'd be like oh i like the cops are fighting the public you know and it's almost like at that point you idiots deserve each other like i'm stepping out you know if you can't sort it out without throwing stuff at each other. God damn it. Anyway, let's not talk about that anymore. Acoustic Eels also says, I love the image of the midnight bell sounding in the courtroom and drowning everything else out for a minute. If this were a movie, it would be a very cinematic moment. An anxious silence overlay with a tolling bell, and with each toll, the camera cuts to another character as we see their facial reactions to the progression of the trial. I bet Father Frillier felt his stomach drop when 
Julian got out, got up and started talking about how he deserved the death penalty if he was in the courtroom during all this anyway. He and Matilda went through all this back-channeling, jury stacking and bribery to get an acquittal for Julian. He might have gotten it too. Instead he stood up, put his foot in his mouth and shot it to fix metaphors a little. The irony is that he didn't even know he might have been saved since they didn't tell him beforehand. Uh, Alright. Bit of a moment there. Uh, Bit of a moment. Sorry, I got distracted by something there. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Let's keep reading, eh? Let's read chapter 42 and see what happens to poor old Julian. Goes like this. Hey, whoa. You know what's odd about this chapter is there's no... Uh, what's it called? Epi... Taff. Epi... What's it called? The little bit of text that goes at the start of the chapter. Just goes straight into the actual chapter. On leading Julian back into the prison, they put him in a room reserved for those condemned to death. He ordinarily observant of he ordinarily observant of even the most trifling detail did not realize that they had not taken him back up to his keep. He was dreaming of what he would say to Madame de Renal if he had the happiness to seek her before his last moment. He imagined that she would try to interrupt what he said, and he wanted to be able to convey the full force of his remorse from the very first word. After doing what I did, how am I going to convince her that it is her alone that I love? For after all, I did try to kill her out of ambition or from love of Matilda. As he got into bed, he discovered that the sheets were made of some coarse fabric. The scales fell from his eyes. Ah, I am in a cell, he said to himself, because I have been condemned to death. That is justice. Comte Altamira told me that on the day before his death, Danton declared in his great booming voice, That's odd. The verb to guillotine cannot be conjugated in all tenses. One may well say, I will be guillotined. You will be guillotined. But one can never say, I have been guillotined. While why not? Julian's thoughts continued. Yet there is a life to come. My word, if I meet the God of the Christians, I am lost. He is a despot, and like all despots, full of ideas of vengeance... His Bible speaks of nothing but abominable punishments. I have never loved him. I have never even been willing to believe that anyone truly loves him. He is pitiless, and he recalled to himself numerous passages from the Bible. He will punish me in atrocious ways, but if I should meet the God of Fenelon, perhaps he will say, Much shall be forgiven thee, for thou hast loved much. Have I loved music? Ah, I have loved Madame de Renal, but my conduct has been atrocious. In that, as in everything else, simple, modest virtue has been sacrificed to what glitters. But then what prospects they were. Colonel of Hussars, if there was a war secretary of legation during peacetime, then an ambassador, for I would have quickly learned everything about public affairs, and, even if I had been a mere idiot, could the Marquise de la Mole's son-in-law fear a rival, all my foolish blunders would have been forgiven, or, rather counted as virtues, a man of distinction and enjoying the grandest possible existence in Vienna or London, not precisely, Monsieur, guillotined in three days. Julian laughed cheerfully at this riposte from within his own mind, really a man who has two selves within him, he thought. 
Who the devil dreamed up that spiteful remark? All right then, yes, my friend guillotined in three days, he reported to his interrupter. Monsieur de Cholin will hire a window, having the cost, halving the cost of it with the Abe Mazon. Well then, as to the cost of hiring this window, which of these two worthy fellows will bilk the other? A passage from Routou's. Ben Selas suddenly occurred to him. Ladislas, my soul is prepared, the king, Ladislas's father, and so is the scaffold. There, bear your head. A good retort, he thought, and he fell asleep. In the morning he was woken by someone grasping him tightly. What already? exclaimed Julian, opening a haggard eye. He imagined himself to be in the hands of an executioner. It was Matilda. Luckily, she doesn't realise what I mean. And this thought composed him. Matilda seemed to him altered, as though from six months of illness. In truth, she was scarcely recognisable. That vile filia has betrayed me, she told him, wringing her hands. Rage had robbed her of her tears. Wasn't I fine yesterday when I spoke out, answered Julian. I was speaking spontaneously and for the first time in my life. True, it's to be feared that it will also be my last. <clears throat> At this moment, Julian was capable of playing on Matilda's nature with all the confidence of a skilled pianist touching the keys. It is true I don't have the advantages of illustrious birth, he went on, but the lofty spirit of Matilda was able to raise her lover <clears throat> up to her own level. Do you think even Boniface... De La Mole would have stood up better before his judges. That day Matilda was unaffectedly tender, like any poor young girl living up on the fifth floor, but she could not get anything more straightforward out of him. He was repaying her without meaning to for the torments she had so often inflicted. No one knows anything about the sources of the Nile, Julian said to himself. It hasn't been granted to the human eye to see the King of Rivers in the form of a little stream, in the same way, no living eye will see a feeble Julian, primarily because he isn't feeble. Yet my heart is easily touched. If, said sincerely, the most commonplace phrase will soften my voice and even make tears flow. How often have barren natures despised me for the failing? They thought I was asking for sympathy, and that is what I cannot stand. It is said that at the foot of the scaffold, Danton was moved by the memory of his wife, but Danton had breathed energy into a nation of light-minded ditherers and halted the enemy before Paris. I am the only one who knows what I would, could have achieved. For everyone else, I remain no more than I might have been. If Madame de Renal was here in my cell instead of Matilda, should I still be able to stay true to myself? In the eyes of Valenod and all the local dignitaries, the intensity of my despair and my repentance would pass for an ignoble fear of death, they are so proud, those feeble souls, when their wealth puts them above temptation. Having just condemned me to death, Monsieur Moirot and Monsieur de Chorlin will have said to one another, Don't you see what it is to be born a carpenter's son? A man can get educated, skilled, but the spirit, a courageous spirit, cannot be acquired. Even with my poor Matilda here, who is weeping now, or rather can weep no more, he added, looking at her reddened eyes, reddened eyes, and then he clasped her in his arms at the sight of such true grief as making him abandon the syllogism. It is likely she has been weeping the whole night long, he said to himself. Even so, one day he, how ashamed she will be at the memory. She will see herself as having been led astray as a young girl by the base reasonings of some plebeian. The Cruz Noirs is weak enough to marry her, and my God, he will do well. She will make him play a part. To the sway of that firm spirit, great with some design, the grosser souls of common men must themselves resign. Well, well, that's amusing. Ever since I have been 
going to die. All the verses I have ever known are coming back to mind. That will be a sign of decay setting in. He's there in the next room, Matilda had been repeating in a faint voice. Eventually he paid attention to her. Her voice is weak, thought he, but all her imperiousness of character is still there in her tone. She keeps her voice low as not to get angry. And who is there, he asked gently. Your lawyer for you to sign your appeal. I shall not be appealing. What, not appeal, she replied, lifting herself up, eyes sparkling with ear ire. And why, if you don't mind me asking? Because at this moment I feel the courage to die without making myself too ridiculous, and who could assure me that in a couple of months after a long spell in this damp cell I might be as well disposed? I foresee interviews with priests, with my father. Nothing in the world could be so unpleasant for me. Let me die. This unexpected contrariness reawoke all the haughty side of Matilda's nature. She had been unable to see the Aprilia before the hour when the Bezagon prison cells opened and her fury now rebounded on Julian. She adored him, yet for a long quarter of an hour she faced once again in her imprecations against his character, her regrets at having ever loved him. The full force of that proud spirit that had overwhelmed him with such devastating insults in the library of the Hotel de la Mont. Heaven owed it to the glory of your race that you be born a man, he answered. But as for myself, thought he, I would be a real fool to live another two months in this disgusting place, the target of all the derision and humiliation the patrician faction could think up, and having for my sole comfort the imprecations of this hysterical girl, oh, well, on the day after tomorrow in the morning I am to fight a duel with a man famous for his remarkable skill and courage. Yes, most remarkable, he interjected his Mephist. Sophilian voice, his strokes never fail. Oh well, so be it, let it come, Matilda continued her eloquence. By God, no, he said to himself, I shall not appeal. This resolve made, he fell into a reverie. The postman on his rounds will deliver the paper at six as usual, at eight, after Monsieur de, Le... de Renal has read it. Eliza will walk in on tiptoe and place it on her bed. A little later she will awake suddenly in reading, she will be troubled, her pretty hands will shake, she will read up until these words, at five minutes past ten he had ceased to exist. She will cry hot tears, I know her, it will be nothing that I tried to kill her, all will be forgotten, and the woman whose life I tried to take will be the only one sincerely weeping for my death. Ah, there's a paradox, he thought, and for the long quarter of an hour in which Mathilda went on making a scene he dreamed only of Madame de Renal in spite of himself, and although he often replied to what Matilda was saying, he could not tear his soul away from the thought of the bedroom of the Verriers. He saw the Bezacon Gazette on the orange taffeta counterpane, he saw the pure white hand clutching it convulsively, he saw Madame de Renal crying, he traced the course of each tear drop as it ran down her lovely face, Mademoiselle de la Mole, unable to get anything out of Julian, called in the lawyer. Fortunately, he was a former captain in the army of Italy in 1796, where he had been a comrade of Manuel. For the sake of form, he opposed the condemned man's decision. Julian, wishing to treat him with respect, set out all his reasons. My word, a man well may well think as you do, the lawyer, whose name was Monsieur Félix Vanneau, ended by saying, but you have three whole days in which to appeal, and it is my duty to return to you each day. If a volcano opens up under the prison in the next two months, you would be saved. 
You might die of illness, he said, glancing at Julian. Julian pressed his hand. Thank you, you are a decent fellow. I will think it over. And when Matilda eventually departed with the lawyer, he felt more of warmth towards the lawyer than he did towards her. And there we go, another chapter down. Not looking good for our man Julian. Thank you very much for listening to that one, and I will see you tomorrow.